There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Welcome to Fear Feasts. I'm Ali. I'm Vanessa. And we are your hosts. Hi, Ali. How are are things? Hi, Vanessa. I'm fine. How are you doing? Today is a very special day. I know. We're very excited uh, here to have with us in the Fear Feast uh, recording studio. We have the fabulous Jameson Reidenauer. Jameson is the writer of the fantastic podcast Palimpsest. And Jameson has this fantastic resume that I'm like so impressed. He's the writer and producer of the audio drama Palimpsest, the author of the werewolf murder mystery Barking Mad, and the writer and director of the award-winning short horror films Corner Boys and the House of Yaga. His ghost play Grave Lullaby was a finalist for Kennedy Center's David Cohen Playwriting Award in 2012, and Jamie's short fiction and poetry has appeared in Strange Horizons, Andromeda Spaceways Magazine, The Newer York, Across the Margins, Mirror Dance, and Architrave, among others. Jamie has a PhD in Victorian Gothic fiction. In addition to publishing scholarly articles on Dickens, Le Fanu, and contemporary vampire films, he edited the Valancourt edition of Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla and wrote a book-length study of urban Gothic fiction. He has taught writing and literature for over 20 years, and he's currently at the Warren Wilson College in Swanawa, North Carolina. Jameson, welcome. We're so exciting to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for yes. asking me. Thrilled, 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 thrilled. Our first guest and someone who is a who's a writer of one of my favorite podcasts that I just love so much. And I know Ali does as well. So we're just totally psyched that you said yes. Thank you for well, being here. Thank you. I didn't realize I was your first guest. I feel I should have dressed up more. I know, right? Well, you know what? Go change right now. Okay. We'll wait. Okay. <laughs> Go put on your prom dress. <laughs> tell your Tell your listeners I have done so. Right, exactly. <laughs> At very least, you know, this is a this is a, a podcast about food and horror. So you should be in black like goth- Ali and I, because, you know, Ali yeah, wrote, sort of... Ali's written a gothic cookbook. You're a scholar of the gothic. I mean, come on. You need to be you need to be wearing black like the rest of us. I'm um, as, as far as you know, my pants are black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's particularly exciting because this is the beginning of our second season and we are segueing into haunted houses and Jameson is going to talk with Ali and I today about the book that I think is probably all of our favorite haunted house in the entire world. Um, Ali, do you want to do the honors? The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, an amazing book. Um, and I just can't wait to hear what Jameson has to say about it, because obviously listening to your podcast, there's just so much that I feel that perhaps you have in common as well with kind of drawing on this idea of the haunted house and what it does on a, I don't know, psychological level as well to the people who mm-hmm. live and inhabit it. Yeah. Yep. Jamie, do you want to give the, um, do you want to give an overview of the book? Of the book? Um, the I mean, I, I have, I will just say I'm as biased as you guys are going in. I think this is the finest haunted house novel ever written. Uh, definitely far and away the finest horror novel of the 20th century. And Shirley Jackson is uh, my queen. Um, and so you're right, we were heavily influenced by The Haunting of Hill House to the point that uh, I think there's a note somewhere early on when we started, Alan says, like, how do we make this feel like Shirley Jackson? I mean, we were we were consciously thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's it's um, four uh, or four people spend the summer in a haunted house in New England, um, 
a doctor, Dr. Montague, um, is researching, uh, trying to do science, you know, quote unquote, scientific research into psychic phenomena or supernatural phenomena. Um, he gets two uh, women who have a history of psychic phenomena in their past, when, uh, who is um, uh, actually can see cards, like I, don't, I guess psychic is the word, and the one who apparently is telekinetic, um, which I don't think it's talked about enough in what happens in the in the house and then a guy who's going to inherit the house who's there to kind of make sure nobody walks off with the silverware and they uh and they spend i don't know 200 pages in the house and things go creepy from out the gate really i know in the very beginning yeah <laughs> but it's also a, ma a masterful i just i've just taught it i taught it and I, I taught uh modern the modern gothic novel last semester and this was one of the centerpieces of the class um, it's one of the finest um, examples of an unreliable narrator, I think, that that exists, even though it's not in the first person. Usually you think of unreliable narrator as a first person narrator, but um, Eleanor is a, just an amazingly well-drawn and developed character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's, she's interesting, that's for sure. Um, I remember the first time I read this book, uh, I found her incredibly irritating. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ellie, and, me as well. yeah. 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 I found it quite confusing. I had to read it a few times. Um, I've seen all the films. I saw the Netflix series. I'm, I am completely um, just fascinated by all the differences between all these different renditions of the same story and why someone would choose to focus on some particular elements as opposed to others. Yeah. And change names. Um, <laughs> change kind of the focus of what the haunting is of or who is being particularly uh, more targeted rather than some someone else and so yeah all those differences kind of when I go back to the to the original text help me understand the story even more but mm -hmm. uh, yeah I, I found Eleanor um, quite um, yeah just difficult to digest in in the in the book but in the films I found Theodora um, more difficult to to kind of deal with and I found her really annoying I don't know why and Luke um, though Jameson obviously you're right that he's there to kind of um, just keep things under control because it's a house that he's going to inherit he is um, known for being uh, a thief isn't he in, in yeah. the book yeah. <laughs> quite funny yeah yeah, yeah. the aunt, his aunt if I'm remembering correctly, owns the house. Yes. And yeah. and she she wants a representative of the family there. And basically, he's free because he's just kind of this good for nothing guy who's not really doing anything. <laughs> so so yeah, and and I love his arc. I mean, he he goes in very. He is the the hardcore skeptic going in. He is the one who feels like the house. He doesn't want it to be haunted because yeah. he wants it to have value. And by the end of the novel, he's like, burn it down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also to me. It's 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 also really from. If and I mean, and I'm not a scholar the way that you two are, but to me, it seems like it's one of the very first examples of domestic horror, 
in terms of that it, it's horror that takes place completely within the confines of a house and you know there is the element of the supernatural but so much of the book itself is specific to the relationship between these four people and to get more into the you know details of it the relationship i think particularly between theodora and eleanor is particularly fascinating especially because of the you think about the time in which the book was written and it's you know it's it's very i mean i'm not i'm not speaking out of turn when i say this but i mean it's pretty much established that theodora is a lesbian even though it's not yeah. explicitly stated so i just always thought that was so fascinating that shirley jackson put that put that element in whether whether you know on purpose or not and i you know it's just it's just absolutely fascinating to see the arc between uh theodora and eleanor because they are both quite irritating characters mm, yeah I, go ahead were you going to say something? Oh, no, just a comment oh. on the fact um, that uh, Theodora is gay, but we only see that in the Netflix series come out, come explicitly, to life. Explicitly, sure, yeah. Explicitly, yeah. Explicitly, explicitly yeah. yes. It, it's pretty, um, It's I just rewatched the 1963 Robert Wise film last night mm -hmm. in, pre in preparation for this podcast. And um, it's about as overt as you could get away with in 1963 in that film. I mean, I, yeah. I, it, they're even, and I don't remember if this is a line from the book or not, but at one point, Eleanor even uses it against Theodora. She says there are a lot of um, unnatural things in this world, you, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, so you, it's, it's definitely there. It's definitely there in the book. It's just not as overt as they could sure. be overt. I mean, the, there's a lesbian vampire novella called Carmilla that I've worked with. It's mm -hmm. from 1872. So it's not like, you know, they sure. didn't invent invent gay people mm. in the 60s that's true but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first not that's the first story where perhaps there's a gay cat even you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about the cat <laughs> right right that's funny but um, it just you know the fact that it is to me a, a, a it is within a, a you know the confines of a domestic environment to me ties in really well with with what ali and i are, are going for in our podcast which is looking at the analysis and the meaning of food as it ties in with horror which is i know not a topic that i think a lot of people tend to discuss or even tend to put together you know in their minds but to me, there they, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of connections between the two of them. In this book, in particular, there are so many specific references to food, and particularly within that domestic environment, you get into it with the character like um, I almost said Mrs. Danvers. So sorry, <laughs> I'm thinking about my other favorite. Gothic They're very novel. similar. Yeah. Yes, I'm thinking miss the character of Mrs. Dudley. She's a very interesting uh, sub character, and she's a really fascinating foil for the rest of the other ones. I love Mrs. Dudley so much. I just can't stand it. She is, and and I love the woman that portrays her in the 1963 film is is Terrifying. one of the most, one yes. of the most per perfectly cast uh, character actors I've ever seen. She's weird looking, isn't she? She's weird looking, and it's a weird character. That the sort of you know Mrs. Dudley has a script, and she never she never varies the script. She's almost like one of those dolls with the string you pull in the yeah. back, where like she she only has four phrases that she says. I, I love her. Um, to back up, you were talking about domestic um, horror. Mm -hmm. it, I don't think it's the first one, but it's the first one to pull everything together like this. Yeah. I was going to mention Rebecca and I was going to mention The Turn of the Screw as two previous novels that are sort of grounded in this kind of psychology all within the house kind of thing. Absolutely. 
and probably if I thought there were probably some 19th century novel, like maybe Uncle Silas or something like that, but nothing that hit the mainstream like this one did. Yeah. I was interested that you guys chose, if you're going to do Shirley Jackson and you're going to talk about food, that you chose The Haunting of Hill House and not We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Oh, you just wait. Um, <laughs> There's more good. to come. No worries. Good. We'll get the there. That's good. Because yes. that's, um, that's such a great novel too. And I know that you worked with Head Full of Ghosts mm -hmm. last season, which yep. is you know heavily informed by We've Always Lived in the Castle. Yep. Yep. Yes, yeah. yeah, very much so. Oh. Mm -hmm. And um, no, that's a great one. No, we're definitely going to do that one. Well, then I'll and... just be patient then. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> we have case, to be patient with yours. You, we might have you back for that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, the, with the domestic horror, I think what really interested me as well was that it kind of starts before we even get to the to the to Hill House because it starts with Eleanor in her house with her sister and her brother-in-law and the fact that we get this backstory that she's been looking after her mum for so long and she's been bringing her endless little trays of soup and oatmeal and you get the mm -hmm. real kind of poverty of the situation the poverty of her life of of her freedom her loneliness in that in that sentence which is given so beautifully by food um, and so that's where I would say the real domestic horror starts in the fact that there's a sort of oppression that occurs over her not being able to take the car, which is half hers. And there, there are many, many pages that go on about the car and the trip leading to Hill House, even before you know we get to the actual story itself. That's a kind of important backstory in a way mm -hmm. that tells us a little bit about her and through food we see her attitude to life, what kind of a person she is, and uh, a little bit an insight into how she deals with the everyday, which is not yeah. very well in terms of reality. <laughs> She's very much in her own imagination, I feel. Yeah. That that trip to Hill House is, uh, is fascinating to me. I, it, it's so important to developing her character, like you just said, and, and it also becoming how it does, you know, here's a haunted house novel and we're gonna spend the first, what, 30 pages or maybe not quite that long, but it seemed like a, a long time <laughs> that she's traveling. Mm -hmm. And uh, to establish her character, almost like it feels always feels to me like Shirley Jackson is saying, um, you know, this is a story about Eleanor. You, you, I've, I know it says Hill House on the cover of the book, but this is what the story is about. And that whole journey is shaped by domestic ideas. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. she's stopping for dinner at restaurants. She's um, she wants her cup of stars. She's imagining what if she lived in this or you know she's taking elements of these places she sees to create this sort of fantasy apartment she lives in and mm -hmm. it's all about creating her own domestic space which she's never had yep exactly yeah and so much of it is tied around food references um you know she stops for lunch at the restaurant overlooking the little waterfall and she has the <clears throat> bowl of cottage cheese and she sees the little girl who won't drink her milk because she doesn't have her cup of stars just the cup of stars concept is just so fascinating to me and what the the, the meaning behind it and, and what it comes to represent in Eleanor's mind but then you know there's the part where she stops in the little town before she goes to Hill House in, the, in that horrible cafe where she goes and has the dish dishwater coffee and a horrible donut and it just uh, you know another really interesting food reference but the food reference to me that's the most interesting and it's and actually one of the most one of the things that sort of kind of put me on the path of analyzing you know food and horror 
is the section where right she hasn't even left the city yet and she's going to take the car and you know there's this sense of you know she's anticipate anticipation but also she's nervous that her sister might you know realize that she's going to steal the car and she bumps into that little old lady and it's very early in the morning i, I was talking about Allie. this has mystified me from the first time i read this book mm -hmm. she bumps into the little old lady she knocks the woman's packages out of her hand the woman has these these packages of food she has tomatoes and rolls and a piece of cake and it's meant to be very early in the morning and i'm thinking well what where did this woman come from and why does she have this food this food isn't like breakfast food and i have this theory y'all can tell me i'm crazy if you want i have a theory that that is a ghost of her mother oh i was thinking about it last night because i was rereading the book for the millionth time i have a, just that that's my own theory that it's it's i that i don't think that woman is real i think she's a ghost of some sort even though i know she goes off in a taxi but i do like you ali and, and jameson i know you both think that eleanor is this this interesting character and she doesn't start off as as being necessarily crazy oh um, i didn't say that I okay said okay was, yay good i didn't say I she didn't start off crazy nice okay cool <laughs> Allie and I were talking about this and, and Allie and I, you know, was saying that you, know, you can see her psychosis develop throughout the book and that's true, but I really think she was uh, kind of, you know, not all together there from the get go and I really think this this manifestation that of this little old lady she sees is meant to be some sort of a, a manifestation of her mother. What do y'all think about that? That has never occurred to me. I'm reading, I'm rereading the passage right now. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah. I, I think I that's, yeah. Why not? Be. I don't know why. I, I mean, I very early in the morning is such a vague phrase. Like, I don't. Is that early in the morning for Eleanor? Is it six a.m.? Is yeah. it? Um, you know, is it? It could be if it's eight thirty and the woman has gone to has just been to the store or whatever. No, she was um, at an event. So it's an event, she, and I think oh. this moment is really key because the food. This is leftover food. So, I did write something about this because I remember it struck me so much that. Oh, I see. Right. The idea is that, like, we, we get to know a side of Eleanor. She's done something. She didn't do it on purpose, and she can't make it right. And the lady won't let her make it right. She's like, once it's out, you've spilt it. We can't put it back in. And I don't want to put it back in, the lady says, because these are leftovers anyway, so I didn't even pay for them. So it's like mm -hmm. we're all living on some sort of borrowed time. And, of course, the whole story is about time and about our sense of time and how we can make up time and we can invent what time we want to live in if it's in the past if it's in the present and Eleanor very much lives in trying to get back her past life and the lady is kind of trying to tell her you can't you know and in that sense Vanessa you may be right that she is a ghost kind of come to alert her to the fact that you can't get back that time that you've lost but I will let you pay for my taxi because you know she wants to just go but that's how I interpreted it that we just see this side of of Eleanor mm -hmm. um that's mm. I, there's also this I rereading this passage and I had forgotten this scene um there's a weird uh I mean the whole thing is weird mm. I know but, isn't but, it? but then she says um you know she's saying can I buy you something to replace it we can find a place that's open the the little old lady smiled wickedly I've still got I've still got this anyway, she said, and hugged one package tight. Yeah. We and don't we, know what it we is. We don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's creepy. It I know. Mad. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, so I 
I'm not sure. I mean, whether or not it's the ghost of her mother, I, I, I mean, that's going to lead us into a bigger question, which is, are there any ghosts in this novel at all? I, um... And, and I feel like that question gets answered, but I, but most of the book, it is a question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how it go ahead. I'm sorry, Ali, go ahead. No, no, go, no, 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 go for it, Vanessa. No, no, I was just gonna say, and it, and it's done in such a, a very clever way that you're hmm. you're never you're never sure. That that was the thing that always stuck out to me is is you know are there ghosts? Is it a is it a communal um, hallucination that they're all having? Even Doctor Montague makes a comment about subterranean waters. Yeah. Um. So you know, yeah, all all of them are pretend, and then you know they're all they're all very haunted people in in their own ways it, it, yeah. haunted by different things you know eleanor obviously is haunted by her her upbringing and taking care of her mother and that's manifested very clearly in the house when she goes and she can't go into the library um right. theodora is obviously haunted by whatever is going on in her personal life it's it's very much a part of her luke yep. you can tell is haunted by his own upbringing as well he makes the commentary about um about you know i've never had a mother and then he goes on later on in the book to talk about how he compares Hill House to a mother that he, I forget the specific wording of it, but he basically says, you know, it's very warm and, and comforting. And then you, then you sit down on it and it's uncomfortable and it rejects you. You know, he's, you can tell he's been, he hasn't had a happy upbringing either. And then yeah. Dr. Montague is haunted by both the profession in which he works. And also he makes an kind of an oblique reference to the fact that he and his wife have not had children. So he's he's got his ghosts as well. They all have their yeah. ghosts and they manifest well, in different ways, don't they? It's really fascinating. Plus he's had he has to be married to that woman. I mean, we haven't talked about his wife yet. <laughs> oh no. But but what a horror show she is when she shows her and, Ar and Arthur. <laughs> her and Arthur, so, uh, yes. Right. Golly. Right. Yeah, there's some, First there's of all, some... she's a skeptic, so that's very difficult to deal with. Yes. <laughs> right, a, a marriage. Of, I'm a psychic investigator. I don't believe in yeah. the stuff that you do. Yeah. Yes. She's a, she's a skeptic, but she uses the planchette and uh -huh. all, you know. She's um yeah she's a fascinating character um yeah and she also is. she the one that if you saw the film the 1963 film she's the last person Eleanor sees before she crashes her car which I thought was a, a, a unusual I don't think that's in the book or it's in not any other no uh -huh. it's it's not and it's it's for me the only flaw in and I assume we're going to get to adaptations in a moment I have very strong feelings about the Netflix series um <laughs> and uh and I and hopefully and let's just. I mean, I don't know if you're planning to talk about the 1999 film or not, but we, but that man, can do. It, it, yeah, that, there is something I that, wanted to that, talk that, about. That, that TV, that movie, that, that literally, that literal shit show. Yeah. No, yeah. We, yeah. That horror show. It. But, but what I was going to say is I, I feel like the 1963 film is almost a perfect horror film. Like, like it's, it's almost perfect. And that's the one thing that I don't like is mm -hmm. seeing her right before because it implies mm -hmm. that she crashes the car because she was startled because she saw mrs uh yes or it's markway and the there's that's a weird yes, it is Dr. Markway. there's there's two weird changes he's markway and she's lance instead of vance and i don't yeah. understand yes. wh yeah. why you why. make that yeah, and it but, just takes away, and it almost—it's almost like it undoes everything that it worked so hard to do in the film. You know, it builds this environment of of terror and horror and fear, and then at the end, it's just like, oh, she saw a person, and it was literally all in her mind, and there's right, no, no right. real ghosts. Yeah. It, it, whereas in the book, I think that final scene is where it becomes explicit that Shirley Jackson wants you to know that this 
Hill House is an entity. Hill House is making this yes. happen. And mm -hmm. uh, it's exacerbated by Eleanor, but it's not caused by Eleanor. Mm, yeah. Oh, so um, that's, yeah, that's interesting because that first reference to the cup of stars where the girl won't drink because her cup is, doesn't have stars on them. And, and Eleanor's quite proud of the girl. She's like, yeah, hang on to your cup of stars. But the waitress is really perplexed. She's like, how can you not even taste the milk? The milk is the best milk that there is. It's the richest milk there is. So to not look at that reality and just to prefer the idea yeah. of something, which is that cup of stars, mm -hmm. um, was an indication. It's just, yeah, Jackson's master masterful way of always keeping us on our toes. We don't know, you know, is, Ele is it all in Eleanor's head? Is it also the house and the house plus Eleanor and the fact that they're doing an experiment and the mm -hmm. whole environment, right. perhaps? Yeah. And, and all of the, or not all of, but a lot of the manifestations that happen in the house are weirdly tied to Eleanor's backstory. Like her, her mother dies because she, for once in the 11 years she's taken care of her, doesn't answer the banging on the walls. Yep. And the the big thing that happens in Hill House is is this massive banging on the walls that nobody yep. can yes. find the secret to, and that that just it feels so inextricably tied to who she is. Mm -hmm. And what about uh, the hailstones, the stones that fall on the on the house at the beginning of the book, which is why I right. wanted to start with a quote from Revelations, but I didn't. But the, <laughs> the stones that fall on the house. Oh come on, that's Allie! So weird. Don't break, don't break this cycle now. Give it to us. Give us Revelations, please. The, Please, Which please. is the, the the most horror book of the Bible, right? It is. A, it's <laughs> like any any um any any biblical thing that I want to look up will always have a perfectly horrifying quote from Revelations, right? Um, yeah. So I wonder what that means. Um, I don't well, know. Uh, the implication that she is telekinetic that that the stones mm -hmm. fell on the house that Eleanor was the cause of that which means if she is someone who unconsciously can move things or create uh you know make objects do things outside of herself i mean that's that's the central question of the book then right is is she doing uh, consciously or not everything that happens in the house is it because of eleanor i think she would make a very good yeah. argument that it is because you know particular well certainly with theodora because they both you know, if it had been Theodora, I think the how the how the manifestation came through would be very different. It would yeah. probably be more reflective of what Theodora's fears were. But it no, I mean it's it's it hooks right away into into Eleanor. And you but you can see that. I mean, in the beginning, even in her own mind, she's thinking in her head, journeys end in lovers' meeting. I mean, she's she's yes. manifesting. You know that this house is going to be her lover essentially yes and she says something mm -hmm. about smugglers oh i might meet a smuggler which i thought was really weird <laughs> daphne de maurier very yes it's very jamaica in isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then at the end i feel like i i feel like and people argue with me and that's fine i've been wrong many times but <laughs> but it feels to me like like she pulls she finally pulls that curtain back chris jackson does um at the you know in the unending crashing second or, or she's saying i'm really doing this i'm doing this all by myself now at the last this is me i'm doing this by myself to taking the car and in the unending crashing second before the car all hurled into the tree she thought clearly why am i doing this why don't they mm -hmm. stop me um and yep. i just i just feel like she's been searching for control her whole life mm -hmm. and she never finds it she no. even when she thinks she's got control something else has turned in the wheel. Yeah, because she doesn't know who she is. And I wonder if that's a commentary as well on 
our past and the our ghosts the ghosts of the people in our past who have determined who we are mm -hmm. and generationally and so the idea that um dr uh montague is there to perform an experiment and the goal is to prove that ghosts are real and the method is a scientific method so he gets these people together um i don't know i, I wonder if it's like wanting to comment on the fact that we always want to explain our relationships with the dead and the influence that the dead have on us and whether we are ever really in control of our own lives. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm teaching a class right now called uh, writing ghosts. Mm. Um, uh, and the, the premise that we're starting with is that um, all ghost stories, all hauntings are stories about memory and they're stories about yes. the, pa the past the undealt with past that refuses to stay dead. And if you want mm -hmm. that to be a literal ghost, it can, but it doesn't, but it, but in a book like Rebecca, yeah. where there's no, no ghost at all, but it's a haunted novel. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you're, and Ali, you're absolutely right. Every, everybody in the book has bringing their own, um, their own ghost with them, their own backgrounds their own traumas i mean that's yeah. so much of what that's so much of what informs horror i think is 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 un, unresolved trauma like you were saying the ghosts of our past whether it was you know a good memory or a bad memory but of course if it's horror it's very likely going to be some horrible thing that we went through in our own past i mean yeah. we're very much haunted right. by by what we've gone through in our lives but how much do we detach ourselves from reality and decide perhaps to actually taste the milk or are we going to just go after that cup of stars? But the fact that those hailstones come down on the house, you know, the fact that there are some things that do happen that are beyond our explanation. Mm -hmm. And it's whether we want to connect that to, to something that we have control over. It's nearly like, you know, giving the responsibility to some something else, to the house or to, mm -hmm. to anything else, to our background. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And it is interesting. But I, I have found the quote, if you want to hear it, yeah. um, yes. Revelation yes. 16, 21. And it says, there was a terrible hailstorm and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. Eleanor, it doesn't say Eleanor. They cursed God <laughs> because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Here we are. Nice. Amen. <laughs> Well, and then so if we want to talk about the Bible, God. The there's of the God. section. There's the section where they they just all had dinner. They're sitting around drinking brandy after dinner. It's their first night there, and Doctor Montague is giving some background on Hill House, and he starts off with he says, "You will recall the doctor began the houses described in Leviticus as leprous, sarus, or homeless phrase for the underworld. I doubt domos. I don't speak Greek. Sorry, uh, the house of Hades." I need not remind you, I think, that the concept of certain houses as unclean or forbidden, perhaps sacred, is as old as the mind of man. And I found the related quote from Leviticus. Then the priest oh. shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house for seven days. So the idea there, obviously, is, is you know, the, the doctors laying the groundwork for the fact that this house, yeah. they are never really able to explain why it was did, did was Hill House born like this? Was it was it did it just well, I absorb to ask all of the bad things yeah. that happened in it? You know all the terrible things that happened with Hugh Crane and his two daughters and and yeah. I wanted to ask you both what you thought about how it was built because in that initial description it's like it was out of the builder's hand. Everything kind of was from the builders, but in a very uh, nearly like it was of its own volition and in an asymmetrical way, so that when Eleanor approaches the house, she says it's vile. 
So that mm -hmm. when I was trying to think, what does vile mean? Because I like gothic houses. I like things that are a bit, you know, crooked. And it's not about that. There's a, it's about something else. So I wondered what you thought about it, that. It, it's about something else, and in a way that isn't immediately obvious. I mean, I think two things. Her saying the house is vile. Um, let's just admit that Eleanor's a bit of a drama queen. So, so <laughs> just a little. It's vile. It's vile. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's I that's must so, get away. You know, that's so Eleanor. Um, but I, I, I mean, a lot gets made of this first paragraph of the novel as being one of the great opening paragraphs of of any novel, and I agree with it. I think um, Stephen King has a great uh, in his Dance Macabre um, nonfiction history of horror. He breaks down. You know, he's got a couple of pages where he goes through it line by line about why that opening paragraph is amazing. But the thing that strikes me about it is Hill House looks okay. Um, it, it Walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. This is not, I mean, it's it's big and sprawling and whatever, but it's not uh, a ruin. It's not uh, dilapidated. It's not um, falling. It's not the House of Usher. It's not the Clenham House from Little Dorrit. This is a... Um, Hill House looks okay on the outside, mm -hmm. but there's something rotten at its core. Mm -hmm. And that feels like a metaphor for everybody in the book to me. Yes. That mm -hmm. that you, you know, you seem okay. But and this whole focus on appearances and the things underneath, Eleanor has that weird line when they meet Dr. Montague, where she's, you know, if this is uh Theo's the one wearing velvet, so I must be Eleanor in Tweed, that you mm -hmm. know, defi defining things by how they look. Yes. But even um, Eleanor makes the observation that Hill House itself, for all that they, they they hate it so much, it's very physically comfortable. You know, the beds are comfortable. They refer to Mrs. Dudley's cooking. I mean, she obviously mm -hmm. sets out mm. a very good table for them. Yep. Um, yes. Their rooms are very luxurious, although I think it's really funny that Mrs. Dudley gave Theodora and, and Eleanor the blue and the green rooms, and Luke and Dr. Montague get the pink and the yellow rooms. I, I just thought that was a lovely little bit of... Um, by play and you know her yeah. probably mrs dudley's little way of uh i don't know getting back at them taking revenge yeah doing some mm. kind of petty little yeah. i just thought that was really funny so yes yeah, so you're right about it being a bit fake because you, dr montague also mentions the beginning at the beginning about uh, the new flavor you know that makes one think about something artificial yeah. so the food is so good perhaps it's too good to be true and it's just like their idealized version of what family and childhood should look like and i know we diss the 1999 version of the, of this because it's terrible and everything else but that version more than any other puts a very big emphasis on children yeah. and in fact one of the fight that's all those children carved in the wood mm -hmm. and yeah. all the, and then she flies out of that carving um something happens with those kids but there's more emphasis on the childlike aspect of of their behavior mm -hmm. i feel yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah and you know it's just what's so interesting another aspect of it that i think is just really fascinating is you know getting into the the interpersonal dynamics between the characters uh again and going back to theodora and eleanor and you know so much of their interplay with one another is focused on things like food and having a picnic they go exploring they talk about having their picnic with the chocolate cake and the ants and the bowl in the field and lemonade and spilled salt and it sort of gets twisted later on when their rivalry begins or when they 
start, start to really realize who the other one is. And the thing, you know, you've noticed that Eleanor starts to be really nasty toward Theodora and the way she needles her, not, you know, obviously in the movie, she needles her about her sexuality. In the book, she needles her about her food. You know, oh, well, you wouldn't want to be stuck somewhere starving, you know, with nothing to eat, Theodora. Mm. All right. And that's the first example, like, to me, obviously, you see Eleanor as being kind of, you know, a drama queen, maybe not all the way there. But then you start to really see her, This she's got this nasty little side of her personality, doesn't she? Yeah, And I, she and does. I think it's, I think it's very reflective of, you know, one of the reasons why the house chooses her, not just for her, her weakness of mind, but I think the house probably senses some kind of nasty, ugly part of her that she's going to, she's going to make a good addition to the uh, collection of, of what walks there in Hill House. There's a whole history of um, uh, women who don't uh, fit into whatever the conventional societal idea of you know, roles women ought to play at the time being uh, accused of having too large of an appetite. And that could be an actual appetite or a sexual appetite or, or, or whatever. There, I mean, there's a line in Dracula where they make fun of the new woman that you know she might just mean is talking about they've gone out to eat or something and she's like you know my appetite would have embarrassed even a new, the new woman um but that that feels like Jackson folding the sexuality in into that but yeah that that she's it's not ladylike somehow or not correct to have the kind of appetite that Theo has whatever you want that to mean Yeah. And talking of Dracula, there's a bit that I really love, which I only kind of picked up on maybe the third time I read this book. And it was that I think it's Theodora talking to Eleanor says that Mrs. Dudley is very much like Dracula and that she Yeah. wonders if she walks on walls. Just the fact that she slides in and out of that big kitchen and coming in and out of different doors and you don't really know where she is all the time and she goes before it's dark. And so the vampiric aspect of both of them, which is In of, the um, night, of Mrs. in Dudley, the dark. yes. Yes, Yeah. and she goes, yeah, before the dark. And they're both very unpleasant characters, aren't they, Mr. and Mrs. Dudley, at Well, least? I don't think there's a certain per a single character in that book that is Yeah. present. None of them are I don't likable. know, because I don't know if that's accentuated as much in some of the... Um, move on some of the films and, and, and the series but in the book they are very very unpleasant and it's because they are just kind of not wanting perhaps protect wanting to be protective and saying what are you doing here you know why are you at this house you we, we it's like they're tied to the house but the others that come and approach they don't need to be they can go they can leave so there's a there's a frustration there I, I I mean, I don't know that she, Jackson, thought it through to this level, but I wonder, like, I understand Mr. Dudley. He keeps the gates locked. He checks the grounds, that kind of thing. Um, who is Miss? Mrs. Dudley isn't cooking for, there are, people don't live in the house. So she's not, Yeah. she's not making these lavish feasts Wow. daily, you know? I mean, I I think think she, she is. you I think think she's she... <laughs> feeding. I think that they're luring people. They're feeding people into the house. The house is like a big stomach and every, and we don't know about it, but It we know is. about this case. We know about this case, but maybe it's a bit like, you know, the Minotaur that they every now and then, every seven years, you've got to send a few people in and just get rid of that grumbling stomach. And I feel like this is what Mr. and Mrs. Dudley have to do. They Who are knows sort of the, if they they actually are sort of would the, be alive? they are sort of the, the keepers of the, 
of kind the, of, of. Of, the, of the Hill House. Well, even and Eleanor she, makes the reference when she is shown her bedroom by Mrs. Dudley about she compares herself to being a small thing, a small fish in the stomach of yeah. a whale. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that's. I, yeah. And Mr. Dudley's line. looking after the grounds outside. <laughs> Mrs. Dudley's looking after the inside. And, and you know, the outside is also important you, you mentioned the picnic this mm. might be the first paranormal picnic that we have in the history of literature but right? they are experiencing <laughs> something they hear the laughter of children they see and then when they turn around it is a broken crockery and they run away and they are um, you know horrified mm -hmm. so they kind of yeah this idea of the grounds of the house being just as um, important and luring them out and mm -hmm. getting lost there. And this is picked up in the series a lot. There's that girl, Abigail. So we have yes. the whole kind of generational thing and there's someone living in the woods. So the idea of the outside mm -hmm. being just as important as the inside. But we don't get right. that as much, I guess, in the in the book and in the film of 1963. There's a couple of, yeah, there's very little out. The 63 film is set almost exclusively indoors. And mm -hmm. Um, again, I just watched it last night, and and the only outside mentioned is that Montague talks about the fact that he and Luke chase what they think is a dog out into mm -hmm. the grounds and get lost, but we don't see it happen. Um, I stole that directly for season two of Palimpsest, the idea that you would go out into, because I remember being really struck by that in this book, that when they chase that thing that they thought was a dog, mm -hmm. um, that they get they get lost and and they even say we should be able to see the house this is not like these this is not expansive grounds that we're on this is the backyard mm -hmm. of this house and we should be able to see it and we can't find our way back and that yeah. that's the idea that you're in a familiar place it's one of the things i love about london gothic novels too that mm. you're i should know these streets i should know this place i should know how to get back where i am and i just can't yeah no. i don't don't yeah. know what's going on yeah, or, or the idea of taking something that should be familiar and, and, and well known and, and completely twisting it so that it's unfamiliar. I'm thinking of the scene in the book where Theodora and, and you don't ever see this in you didn't see this in the 1963 movie or I don't think any of the, the film adaptations or the TV series that scene where Eleanor and Theodora toward the end are, have that fight and they both walk out and the landscape changes. And so that, yeah, that, yeah. that's that's like creepy. But then that's the that's one of the few scenes where the manifestation is really only like you you never know what it is that Theodora sees. But that's one of the few like manifestations of the house where that it's just specific to Theodora that Eleanor doesn't have really any any input into that. Like and you and you don't know what it is that you that that Theodora sees. I thought that was a really fascinating scene and yeah. really like bum that it was never incorporated into any of the into any of the visual adaptations because I think that would have been a great terrifying yeah. scene. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think the Theodora saw? I have no idea. Um yeah, I don't That's know. That's what makes it so good, huh? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think the the unknown aspect of so much of this is um and we haven't talked about uh for me the scene, the scene that scares me every time I think about it, which is the whose hand was I holding scene. Um, but Ugh. but but the I right <laughs> but the idea that that you're not um that, like like we were just saying that that this is I thought I knew this I thought I understood this we mapped this yesterday and now this door isn't taking me where I thought I was going to go mm -hmm. or or the landscape is different now and I thought I could get back and I can't is mm -hmm. um because you doubt yourself and you doubt everything around you and yep. um it's mm. scary 
Mm-hmm. Just yeah, on a, everything on a, changes. Like, on a primal level is scary. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we see this more, you know, the interpretation is through our eyes and through our experiences. And so we see this in many of the backstories provided by the films as well. And in the book as well, you see that the Eleanor's backstory is quite important in shaping her reaction to things and to things that happen and how how she deals with it. But I guess that's why the food is quite important, um, I think, and how Mrs. Dudley is uh, nearly like a robot or functions as a clock. You know, she provides the perfect framework and the structure because she says it and she says, you know, I will put the food out at nine and then leave it, you know, I will clear it when I come the next day and it will be, uh, you know, the, the set timings that she says, you know, why? And because all the characters are asking themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I even here? What am I doing? But the food, is something that they are very, very secure about, you know, then that, that gives them a sense of security. So mm-hmm. they know mm-hmm. it's Pulse. coffee time. They know it's breakfast time. They know mm-hmm. it's dinner time. And that's us. That's everything that we do is around those timings. And what about yeah. if those timings were to change or over time develop, which they have, of, of course. And that's the interesting mm-hmm. thing is that how we change our lives and what becomes the, the fixed point in our life but in some way or another it's always to do with the thing that we have to do and that's eat so yeah. I think that's an interesting point mm-hmm. as well and, and it's also is... a great source of comfort to the characters in the book for the most part I mean they structure their time around these meal times but it's also you know you think about the things that are, are cooked you know Mrs. Dudley makes peach shortcake and you know I like I was saying before you know Eleanor makes reference to the fact that as as awful as Hill House is it has so many creature comforts you know the food is fantastic and even when um, Mr. Uh, Dr. Montague's horrible wife comes and, you know, she, you know, she says, oh, you have found a fair cook, have you not, John? And they mentioned Mrs. Uh, Dudley's caper sauce. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a, a great and not an important thing in the grand scheme of things, but it ties back into this concept of food sort of being the anchor point for these people in this house, you know, these, these four kind of vaguely connected people and they connect over meals. They connect at the breakfast table. They connect at the dinner table. They connect over brandy and cocktails and, and coffee and tea. And it's just such a fascinating, uh, you know, way to look at it, how the food really, like I said, anchor, it both anchors them to the house and it provides us a point of comfort into them and, and, and a source and a reference point as well. But it also kind of underlines just how isolated in this house, this strange, strange house that they really are. And and it's good food. I mean, you just said mm-hmm. that, but but it's she's not providing simple meals. I mean, caper sauce and and peach cake and mm-hmm. you know when they're looking through the kitchen when Mrs. Dudley isn't there, you know they're they're like you know these things are laid out for a souffle. Is she really yes. going to make a souffle? Mm-hmm. Like like she's not um she's not just going through the motions. I mean, Mrs. D- you know Mrs. Dudley's Hill House Cafe is someplace we would all want to eat. Yeah, well, she's got to uh, she's got to fatten him up for the house, you know. She, 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 yeah, she and Dudley are going to feed these people to the house. Remember, I guess yeah. <laughs> she's putting in a lot of effort, isn't she, to give the idea of I'm really, you know, the the motherly or parent like idea of I'm going to feed my children and give them. How do I do that? I show all my love through doing all these very com- complex and uh, tastes that will really flabbergast them. They will be amazed by this, but they are there you know with their own traumas and for different reasons so they appreciate it but I feel like it's not really working in terms of making them go back to that childhood that they always right. wanted mm-hmm. and so well, we it... see that not the knocker of the, of the child and then we see that Eleanor also hears children gurgling and there's a kind of um I think like a 
a rhyme that she hears as she goes out in the end, doesn't she? With there's like a chorus of a of children's song, which is like go in and out of the windows, right, go in yeah. and out the windows. Yes. So yeah, so it's very much this child. Has she lost her childhood? Has she is she trying to get back who she was as a child, and she can never get that back? So is that why it ends the way that it does, perhaps? Uh, possibly. I, I feel like it, the. I still think I'm really fascinated by this split between appearance and reality. Um, and so Mrs. Dudley is giving, like you said, all the stuff that you, you know, the mo motherly thing, she's being maternal and he, this is amazing food and, and it's a comfortable place I've put for you, but she is absolutely emotionless. She is not providing any kind of um, warmth or real kind of support you would want from a mother. You know, I'd much rather have a mother that loves me and supports me and isn't that good of a cook than the other way yeah. around um she's uh there's a great moment in the 63 film uh it happens in the book too but the performance is what makes it where um mrs dudley is giving her pre-written spiel to theodora <laughs> and eleanor's already heard it and eleanor sort of teases mrs dudley and and she says no nope, nobody can hear us if we scream in the night right mrs dudley <laughs> and and in the film the actress play mrs dudley pauses and gives this terrifying smile this just smile spreads over her face and she says that's right no one lives any closer than town and you're like wow this is fucked up in the night um in yeah dark. in the night in the dark mm -hmm. um and it's uh yeah i mean the, the, she should have won an academy award for that oh i agree <laughs> what is it what is it about gothic novels and creepy housekeepers i guess they go hand in hand you know that's become such a trope as as part of you know gothic literature that yeah. the creepy housekeeper but it's not the the housekeeper wasn't creepy in um in the turn of the screw she's kind of she's actually sort of kind of dumb she's mrs Gro <laughs> mrs gross yeah yeah she's um she's the source of knowledge i mean she's the one that knows about what happened before and tells yeah. the governess mm. what happened but she's i mean i think it's because you're tied in if the house is rotten or leprous or whatever it is this is somebody who is connected to the house. Everybody else is visiting. Mrs. Dudley is of the house. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're there to lure men and feed them. Maybe they got trapped themselves. I mean, we're never part of the horrors that we're never told. Yeah. But they're able to leave. So that's quite important because they do yeah. leave mm -hmm. and they do separate themselves. This is made really clear in the Netflix series. There's a whole backstory there as to how they managed to do that, yeah. why they started doing that. And that becomes apparent when they see that the that Olivia is being uh, the the wife mm -hmm. is completely kind of drawing all these weird um, rooms and and then he's like right you've got to get her away from the house she's not able mm -hmm. to manage so there is a kind of feeling that some people can manage some people can't depends you know how detached you are from the situation mm -hmm. depends yeah. how yeah. if you don't not that invested it's a bit like these couples that because they invest in each other you know you get it in The Exorcist with Willie and Carl, you get it in um, The Omen with uh, the, ha what are their names? Hey, look. Yes. No, no, with the housekeepers, the man and wife, the husband and wife. But they're not really right. major characters in the, in the movie, no, really. No, but you get this idea that they're protected, they're there, and if they want, they yeah. can leave, they have each other. But then there's the vulnerability of those single characters that go in and they're more invested and they're not able to get away yeah. or they're more abandoned to their dreams and so they kind of let go. Yeah, of themselves, and even in the mm. book, the the book makes mention. Doctor Montague says, "You know, the the house does not seem to like letting uh, people go." No, yeah, no. yeah. So, so 
so that's why D mrs dudley has so many doors she's like yeah just in case just i in get blocked run out yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah they, they they um in that that scene with the souffle they're, they're they count the doors that's one of the first things they do mm -hmm. and they're like there's there's three doors onto the out of that out of the house like there's doors into other parts but there's three doors to the outside in the kitchen mm -hmm. uh, that mrs dudley can and, and the doors run, cause run disorientation and it's a it's a it's a protection mechanism they're mm -hmm. there to disorient the house so the yeah. house has like a main brain and i think yeah that's the aim is that that, that then well, don't, does, don't they say escape. doesn't theodora say that maybe they like to hide from one another yeah mm, getting, yes mm -hmm. yes yeah. very creepy mm -hmm. yeah mm. yeah it's it's um there's two houses that we think inspired shirley jackson uh one of them is the winchester house in california oh yes and the other is a house that she just saw a picture of in a magazine or something and just thought i mean i assume like eleanor looked at it and was like wow that's that house is leprous mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 she sort of based her concept of hill house on it and then later doing research after she started writing the novel she went to try and find where that house is and like what house is that and she discovered it it is a house in new england and it was built by her grandfather by Shirley wow. Jackson's grandfather? His grandfather, which she did not know. When oh, she, wow. Um, okay. Um, so that's a um, spooky coincidence. That's fascinating. Isn't, isn't that a great story? I never knew that. Uh, that's, a, yeah. huh, interesting. It may, and it, to, to kind of segue briefly into the, um, the horrible 1990 version of the, of the <laughs> movie, uh, yeah. movie version of the book, maybe that was part of the writer's inspiration for making uh, Hugh Crane's character, the grandfather of Nell in that movie. Oh. Which oh, I thought I was kind of I an interesting. They had done that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I and I, I made myself rewatch it a couple nights ago. It was just horrible, horrible. Oh, yeah, I could. And the I grandfather it, part yeah. stuck out of my head because there's that stupid scene where the character Eleanor's character says, "I'm back, Grandpa," and I was like, "Oh my God, this is so horrible. This crap." And there it becomes, isn't it interesting? There is an experiment about sleep. Um, in the book, it's about finding out about the existence of the paranormal then in the series I don't know if we wanted I wanted to know what you thought about the fact that they are all siblings and the fact that in the book there is this this it mm. it kind of wants you to think that they become in some way kindred but yeah. in, in the Netflix series they are already siblings so how mm. yeah I don't know what you thought about that. well I mean there's there's the book sets up all these sort of gothic doppelganger situations where there, there are doubles of situations and people they aren't necessarily siblings but um abigail crane got old in the house had a companion and didn't she die like in, in a similar way to her like like the companion didn't come and so she died the same way that eleanor's mother yep. died and so there's these parallel stories that um that reflect each other mm -hmm. but, but aren't literally tied familially no um I think, okay, so here's my opinion on the Netflix series. Um, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, I thought it was excellently done. I, I think it is, I don't think it's as good as Midnight Mass um, mm -hmm. as a piece of writing, but it's close. And I think that the, the Bent Neck Lady episode might be the best hour of horror I've ever seen Gosh. on television. Yeah. Brilliant. I, I don't, I think it is not an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand, I understand he took the themes and, and jumped off of it. And I respect mm -hmm. that because that's what I've done with my podcast. But but I don't, it felt 
felt like I'm like a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. Like I feel, I feel like Flanagan would have been better off just writing a, a hella good haunted house story mm-hmm. series and not calling it the haunting of Hill house. Yeah. Um, because it seems to do the opposite of what Shirley Jackson is doing in this book, which is it um, makes the ghost explicit almost from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the ending where the, uh, the last half of that last episode where they all end up in the house, trapped mm-hmm. in the house is presented as this positive thing. Now we're all together and we're all, and it is not in any way positive in the book. It, it's, it's yeah. not ending up in hell house is not uh, a good ending. Um, so I feel like there's some things he does that subvert Jackson's own intentions, mm-hmm. mm. but, but if you can forget about the book, it's a hell of a show, man. It yeah. is incredible. Yeah. yeah. It really so, is. I remember I almost didn't watch it because when I was reading about it and then I read that it had so changed from the the story of the book. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to watch a, you know, reimagining of it. And I'm really glad I did. But I agree with you, Jameson, that, you know, it's 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 not a retelling. It's a it's a maybe a reimagining of it. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's represented as being a, a, you know, just another, you know, another version of it. And you're right, it absolutely isn't. But it's fascinating about the characters. Like, you know, you can see where he got the inspiration for every single character. Obviously, Hugh Crane, you know, obviously, you know, Stephen, well, Stephen Stephen and Olivia were the only two I I kind of didn't really find a, a connection to in the book. Obviously, you know, Eleanor and Luke and Theodora the Dudleys and and Shirley yeah and Shirley Shirley. exactly yeah but I was you know did either of you figure that one out because that you know I watched the series like four or five times and I've read the book many many times and I still can't figure out you know obviously the characters needed to be they needed to be in there to kind of move the story forward like you needed Olivia's character but I mean what was she like supposed to be like Nell's you know in in the book Eleanor's kind of crazy mother or maybe maybe I don't know Uh, um I I I felt there's some characters in there that feel like a one-to-one retelling. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna have a lesbian character named Theo, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sometimes it felt like he was again, like he was writing his own story. Um, yeah. and then he was grafting names and things onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, I felt like anytime you have uh, this is Stephen King syndrome. Anytime you have um, a white male horror creator who puts a white male horror creator in his story, I feel like that's a self-insertion. <laughs> so, uh, so I feel, I feel like he was sort of the Mike Flanagan in the. <laughs> well, and he's and he's such a he's such a huge Stephen <laughs> King fan anyway, and he's yeah. done some really terrific adaptations of Stephen King. So that does make some that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. That's a, that was a very King esque. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's actually that's a good way to think about it. I mean, the TV series feels like what if Stephen King had written The Haunting of Hill House? Mm, yeah, you would get you would because get you series. get the personification <laughs> of the house. I think mm-hmm. through the mother Olivia. And yeah. especially when she's dealing, she is the one who's creating the blueprint of the house mm-hmm. based on something in her head, which is her forever home. So yeah. she is that idealization of the family, which is rotten in a way, right. and is the person who ultimately leads all the children to their death because she is calling them one by one to her because mm-hmm. things didn't turn out how how 
well yeah. because it wasn't matched up to reality yeah um, in a way yeah. i think she i think olivia's character sort of took the place of of nell in the book because nell is the one who's obviously they're all haunted but she's the most haunted and the the haunting manifestations come through the most through through eleanor's character yeah and in the movie and the tv series rather the you know the manifestations they all see something they all see different kinds of ghosts but it's olivia that is responsible basically for that house kind of waking up in a way and and you know what for all the horrible things that happen so it's just it's really good and you know another another really excellent example of a domestic horror yeah uh, yeah I, the, I, bet, the bet neck lady was was terrifying i, I have I, a question I, about the ghosts later yeah okay ask them ask it now yeah well because i want to know what's going on with this bowler hat ghost that appears every now and then in drag me to hell in the um, haunting of the Enfield haunting as well, you get this crooked man or the slender man or anything like that with a bowler hat. But in the last 10 years, this is crazy. What is it with this bowler hat? I I don't know. I um, you know, in, in our show, we have the man in the black suit and I was very careful not to give him a bowler hat uh-huh <laughs> because it is such a thing it, it feels like it feels like like slender man's at the back of it doesn't it yeah. doesn't it feel, feel like yeah like yeah. like it's it's slender man's influence on mm -hmm. uh, it's, cre it's creepy pasta in popular culture yes. yeah yes um, i think yeah. that makes a lot of sense that might be what it is yeah. well even yeah. even even the depiction of of the man with the bowler hat in the tv series i mean he's this tall terrifying skinny man who just floats through the house he's horrifying yeah. When it, was Slender Man? Because Drag Me to Hell is two thousand and four, two thousand and six. Is it? Hang on, let me check. Oh, uh, that's and probably that, you, you, that's yeah. probably pre Slender Man. I don't know. Yeah, Slender Man was what two thousand and nine. Two thousand. Okay. Two thousand and nine, and that was where I first. I was like, okay, and then I kept seeing it again and again. The bowler hat in particular. So mm -hmm. yeah, I just wondered what was, and of course he's floating, which is terrifying, and he has a stick. <laughs> I but mean, I love I, it. Ellie yeah. has issues with floating. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it also reminds me. I don't think they had bowler hats, but it reminds me of the um, of the uh, the Buffy episode "Hush" with the the gentleman. Oh God! Because you, you also had the, the floating and, and and yeah, the gentleman um, where you've got you know Doug Jones brilliantly portraying that. When I have to tell you, Jameson, <laughs> that um, in my mind, uh, when I picture the man in the black suit in your podcast, I picture the gentleman from Buffy and the Vampire Slayer. Oh, that, that makes me very happy. Yeah, yeah. It, he, but, he's, he's, a, he's a scary character. <laughs> Buffy is the first thing that Haley and I bonded over, um, which is one of the reasons we ended up making a podcast together is because we were both... She was yeah. in a she was in one of my plays. That's how I met her. She she started in one of my plays, and uh -huh. she came to rehearsal one one time in a, a Sunnydale High t-shirt. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh my God, you're so much cooler than I thought you were. And right? Then, so yeah, so that, that, that I'll tell her that it'll make her happy. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I totally picture um, that in my head. But, so. but I, I think, that, and maybe I'm going to be too academic here, um, but there is a sort of, um, for me, the Gothic is about, as I've already said, about the past and erupting into the present. And that can be the personal past of the characters that often is. But it also can be a societal past or or like an evolutionary past. I think Jekyll and Hyde is really about like de-evolving. Yeah. Um, and so the the man in the bowler hat, that's sort of um late 19th, early 20th century symbol of like British business and and you know, you know the the way society is supposed to be structured. 
it feels like that's a a societal yeah. haunting somehow. Mm-hmm. And some things stick, don't they? Obviously, it's not in the book. This is in the mm-hmm. series. But some images really stick, like the goat, which I I know is mm-hmm. a fairly recent a fairly recent idea of what the devil looks like. Because mm-hmm. before it was more, it could have been a pig, could be a cat, it could be any animal, you know. But the specific thing about the goat, that's something that now in the last 20 years or so, again and again comes up, fairly mm-hmm. recent. Um, so I find these little uh, things quite interesting to mm-hmm. to focus on and like, why? I wonder why. But um, the bent neck lady, I thought was the way that it connected Nell and her past, you know, from the beginning to the end, you realize it was always her and how she dies. And then I thought that was really great. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, I really like that about the series. Oh, yeah. But- that concept, um, and I'll shout out here if uh, if she ends up listening to this to my student uh, Venus, um, who is fascinated with both that episode and with the, this novel. Um, Venus is really interested in doppelgangers, and particularly in the concept called future ghost, where where you you see a ghost and the ghost turns out to actually be your fate that you're seeing mm-hmm. um yes. and bent neck lady is one of the best examples of that the other really good example is a found footage horror film called lake mungo oh yes Aust- we've seen i've the, seen that one the, yeah australian film that's a terrifying film i founded a support group for that because for yeah. all the people vanessa hasn't seen it yet okay Everyone's we're gonna do a to watch along group. together ali and i you should it is well, it's I- extremely sad in the six like the cycle i mean it's it's wonderful wonderful yeah it's really good but but that that idea that time is somehow cyclical or that mm-hmm. you're what you're haunted by is the thing inside of you you know you're haunted by yourself yeah and so you're haunted by your future as much as you are by your past that's um yeah yeah I don't want to think about that too long no I know it's, <laughs> it's scary though isn't it yeah. and, and it's yeah. and it's a great element of of of, the, of that story um I don't know that you could I guess there is probably not an example of that in the book but you do get a sense of, of, of things being cyclical in the sense of the book, you know, that the, there's the two the two sisters that fight over the house, the two Crane sisters. Then you get the, you know, Eleanor and, and Theodora, who are, are kind of re- representative of, of sisters as well. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Jameson, you had mentioned um, we have always lived in the castle. You know, mm-hmm. there's the concept of the two sisters there as well. But there was an interesting little part in the book when Mrs. Montague and Arthur come to stay and, and Mrs. Montague is playing with the planchette and she talks about the ghost, you know, the ghost is named Marigot. Well, the sister in the, the, the um, I just went blank, the book. Um, castle. Thank castle. you. We've always lived in the castle's name. Maricat. Yeah. Maricat. Marigot. Yes. I don't know. Oh, that's, I've never made that connection. Mm-hmm. I've, oh, I've read this book too many times. So that's, that's really cool. I, uh-huh. um, yeah. Oh, wow. I wonder if she was thinking about what's, what's their. Cause that is not what, a common this, name, either Mary no. or Mary got. And they're well, and it's Mary, you know, it's a, it's a shortened version of Mary Catherine and sure. Sure. Castle, but there's five years between those novels. That's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think just as a side note, I, I, I called this the finest horror novel, the 20th century. And I, I believe it is. But I think uh, the only gothic character better than Eleanor in the 20th century is is Maricat Blackwood. I think she's one of the most beautifully drawn characters mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, that's why the doppelganger works, the, whether yeah. they're si- siblings or not, is putting two characters 
that can highlight each other, uh, act in opposition to each other, but that you learn about each character by watching the other one interact with them. Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. I and you see, it. and you see that I think very clearly. I, I, to me, in the TV series, probably the the scene that you see it the most clearly with these siblings and their father is the scene when um, Eleanor is in her casket. They're at the funeral yeah. home, and um, Shirley's husband has laid out all that food. Yeah. So you know, of course, you have the connection with the food, and you know, somebody's somebody has died, and you know, what do you do when somebody's dead? Like Ali and I talked about this in our previous episode. You do things that make you feel alive. You either, you know, you go off and have sex with someone, or you know, or you go and stuff your face, or excuse me for being crude, you know, fucking or food. Right. I was just about yeah. to say, Vanessa, thank you for not using the F word. And sorry, 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 Ali. You know me. I got I have to throw. I have to throw in an F bomb once in a while. Yeah. I don't want, oh yeah, and they do it. say the food keeps coming. Can someone stop the food from coming? They're like quite frustrated, don't they? At the yes. Funeral parlor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that and that's a. Um, I am in the southern United States, and and with the, you know that's like a cliche is that um you get almost too much food that no, nobody knows what to do so they all bring a casserole everybody brings and, food and so so you end up with all this food um it, it's usually just food down here you've been to some more interesting funerals than i have i think um not me i haven't, I haven't seen the other the other f1 happen but <laughs> but the uh but but the food is <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> but but yeah it's a because it's because it's a comfort and i love the idea that mm -hmm. you, it is you do the things that make you feel alive you yeah do, yeah. Well, I just, I mean, I, I've, I've, Ellie and I've talked about this several times. The, you know, for me, the idea of food in horror has so there's just so many sub, sub, so much subtextual meaning and and connections to it. You know, food in horror means so many things. It means, you know, it can represent comfort. Obviously, in this, in this sense, um, the first time I was ever struck by, you know, the connection between horror and food, like on a very like obvious level but when I was reading Pet Cemetery by Stephen King mm -hmm. and there's so much food in that book but so much of the food references are in the beginning before the food before all of the horrible things happen with Gage you know and, and mm -hmm. him burying Gage and then Gage coming back and it struck me that because obviously they have the funeral for Gage after he's hit by the truck and the you know, same thing there's just so much food and so much food and nobody can touch a bite of it because they're so devastated and it occurred to me that that you know food plays a very central role in horror if it if it isn't if it doesn't represent the comfort aspect like we were talking about uh you know represents the calm before the storm oftentimes it can be you know it can it can mean you know control a character you know a certain characters element of control within within the book and it can also i think represent this this very extreme contrast and this vis this visceral contrast to the actual horror that's happening on the screen or on the page and um you know i think both yeah. the book you know the book obviously the haunting of hill house and the tv series play with that in a really interesting way and yeah. it can make you feel is also a bit you know there are moments where with food like anything else you you like nothing else can make you feel extremely uncomfortable because you're empathizing with that idea sometimes we're even already salivating at the when we see something we're like oh my god she just threw that whole casserole away and we have this in I don't know if you've seen the night house it has uh Rebecca Warren in it um yeah. and, and yeah. the very first scene her husband has died someone brings her thing a huge casserole or something or lasagna or something and she throws the whole thing away and you know I'm like don't do that <laughs> don't, <yeah. laughs> I'm frustrated by that 
And also in the Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix series, you get this really weird food scene right towards the end. Shirley is there. Uh, she cheats on her husband. Spoilers, but you've had a while to watch it. But anyway, yeah. so Shirley's at this bar and someone sends her a drink. So what does she do? She sends someone, an app, the same person, to make them feel uncomfortable, yep. an appetizer. And she calls it the appetizer without consent because that is weird. You can receive a drink. Mm -hmm. but why is it Why is it slightly weirder to receive a whole plate of food from someone you don't know? It's like, yeah. That's a bit creepy. So but, I love the but it's also very intimate in a, in, a, in, a strange, yeah. in a strange way. It's a strange sort of intimacy as well because you know most people would send back a drink or they wouldn't accept a drink or whatever. She sends back. It's like she's she's like she doesn't want to. She's quote unquote on the surface doesn't want to open that door. But this is her way of opening that door to this guy. She's a rebel, but really she isn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rebel without yeah. a clue. Without a clue, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The food, there's such an intimacy to food that that it it feels um, yes, uh, it weirder than than a drink. Mm -hmm. True, yeah, yeah. I, and, and there's so much horror that, and this is outside of the scope of Hill House, unless you think about that. Um, thank you for reminding me that of Eleanor saying, "I feel like I'm, you know, inside of a beast." Yeah. Um, but there's so much horror that that is involved with consumption, with you know, uh, zombies and vampires and uh, uh, and yep. were werewolves and any kind of animal horror, where where the fear is you will become food, or you're going to yes. be eaten, or you're going to. I'm thinking going back even to Shakespeare, mm -hmm. like that you're actually um, eating without knowing it. Mm -hmm. You're consuming. I'm thinking about Titus Andronicus. Yes. You know, yes. you know that, that yes. were, you're digesting. <laughs> And, yes. he, and even the idea of the mother who's meant to provide you with nutritious food in The Haunting of Hill House. And again, in the series, this is rendered even more because I feel like when Luke goes back to that house at the end, then the mother is there. But there's always an, there's also another woman behind him that grabs him. So yeah. who is that? Hazel? Who? Which of the many mothers who are there? You mm -hmm. know, so the mother that's meant to protect, meant to feed you in the end is killing you as well, but not yes. through, you know, possibly not on purpose, mm -hmm. but through other other means yeah. yeah yeah my favorite um uh one of my favorite variations of folktale is the cannibal witch the um uh baba yaga and baba all yaga. The and yeah. all versions of that you know Hansel and gretel all those versions of of something that's going to eat you a grandmotherly figure that's going to eat you mm -hmm. and that the way out the way to defeat her usually is by becoming yourself that monster you know mm -hmm. at the end of Hansel and Gretel they they defeat her by cooking her in the pot mm -hmm. and we don't see him actually eat her but but it's that that sort of um cyclical nature of the monstrosity of consumption yeah we get this perfectly in the in the book and it's page 144 Luke says sacrificing me for a cup of coffee do not be surprised and I say it darkly if you lose your Luke in this cause perhaps Mrs Dudley has not yet had her mid-morning snack <laughs> and she's perfectly capable of a filet de Luc à la Meunière, or perhaps Dieppoise, depending on her mood. But I entreat you to regard your lunch with the gravest suspicion. Oh, <laughs> so you know, I, those I, are the hard. The kind I of love are. that. I love that. I know, right? Wonderful. Well, and, it, and it ties in with with you know other themes that we've talked about. You know, so much of so much of horror is is based around the concept of a woman in peril. And what do women, what is women's traditional role is, is the domestic person, the woman who does the cooking, the mother, the one who provides for the family and the children. So you see so much of domestic horror revolving around a woman in peril and a woman is almost always, 
you know, something, something happens, something terrible happens in the kitchen. If it's not happening in the bedroom, it's happening generally in the kitchen. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's an, it's a, you know, fascinating, I think, yeah. treatise on, on the role of, of women in society. When you look at, you know, food and horror and particularly, um, and I think very much so in, in the haunting of Hill house, because you have Mrs. Dudley who represents sort of, I don't want to say the normal person, but sort of the mm -hmm. traditional role of the female, you know, she's the cook, she takes care of the house. Yeah. And then you have the characters of Theodora and Eleanor and I think even Mrs. Uh, Montague, who are, you know, kind of interesting, you know, subversive, you know, subversive characters in that sense. Um, you know, they they all they, they certainly all, you know, see the importance of, of food in their own ways. You know, so many of Eleanor's fantasies because she lives so much in a fantasy world. She's very out of touch with reality. But so many of her fantasies revolve around different things with food you know she's driving to hill house she thinks about living in this in this mansion with the stone lions and being waited on by this mm. starchy starchy little old lady who brings her you know elderberry wine and she dined upon a bird with radishes and homemade plum jam and and then that she sees the little cottage smothered in roses set back from the road and she imagines living there and toasting apples at her hearth in the evening and thinking that nobody will ever find her so you know and then you know then there's theodora always complaining about how you know i hate to be hungry i i i get i forget what she says but you know she's always referencing being hungry and of course you know you mentioned the the connection to sexuality yeah. which i think is very valid and then you yeah. have mrs um Mrs. Montague, who comes in at the end and she's kind of taking over and she's going to play with planchette and she says, I require a small snack. I want crackers and milk. And right. you know, so it's all just it's yeah, yeah. all just very, very interesting. Their their individual relationships with food. And, and I yeah. think it's, it's probably worth remembering Shirley Jackson herself, who had a very complicated relationship with what she was expected to be domestically and how she was supposed to behave as a professor's wife in Bennington. Yes. And that most of the uh, town, this really informs, uh, we've always lived in the castle, but that most of the town were really suspicious of her because she didn't, she wasn't a good housekeeper. She didn't make sure her kids were dressed well when they, when they went out. Um, she very famously was, you know, she, she didn't, she was, um, uh, overweight and sloppily dressed and smoked heavily and drank heavily and didn't mm -hmm. clean up her house and she was the opposite of the 1950s domestic you know she mm -hmm. was not not Donna Reed and I, I feel all of that when I when we talk about this in Hill House that she's really um, she feels that as an oppressed an oppression and and that her her own life as a subversion of that and so I think she's really wanting to play with that yeah um, yeah speaking that, of cooking Allie and I always kind of wrap up the episode. I don't know if you guys wanted to keep talking because I'm sure we could keep talking, but no, you're you know we're I think good. we've done we we're okay we, now. Yeah, we covered yeah. most things. So Allie and we I covered all the start. adaptations. We covered you're the right. book. Yeah. We covered the fridges. Book, covered the 1963 movie. Covered the craptacular 1999 movie, and then the yes. fantastic uh, 2018 TV series. So I think we did a I think we did a great job. So. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Allie and I always end our, our episode by picking one of the food references and, and making a, a, a dish. So do you, okay. want to do, you want to do that with us, uh, Jameson? You don't actually sure, have to cook if you don't want to, but... Let, yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, Allie, what are you going to make? I'm going to make Luc à la Mounière. <laughs> <laughs> 
I haven't decided what Luke is, but I'm going <laughs> to replace it with something like tofu or I don't know. I'll see now. I'll I'll find a replacement because we have this nowadays. So <laughs> filet de Luke a la Munier. Oh, that's so hey, funny. Listeners, it's coming your way. Yeah. That is awesome. That's hilarious. Jared, Jameson, what do you think you're going to cook? Oh God, I don't know. See, I didn't know this was coming. Um, I I could. Uh... We like to keep our we like to our guests. You're our first no. guest. We like to keep our we like to throw our sure. You know, no, I think it's great. Guests. I, I could, uh, I mean, I could cheat because my daughter is a master baker and I could choose something and have her make it because like uh, it occurred to me she could make a peach shortcake that would be amazing. Ooh, um, mm -hmm. But but that seems too uh, mundane. And like Eleanor, I cannot make a souffle. Um, but I, I guess I could do the, I'm, I'm trying to look through the, the stuff. Um, I could put together a picnic. I think it's a great Ooh. idea. A ghostly picnic. Ghostly a, picnic. A ghostly picnic. I can do that. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. Yeah. And I I think I am going to make a souffle. Oh good. Wow, good. Vanessa, cool. you're so great. Go for it. That's impressive. And it's, so it's what's something our... I haven't ever made. So, and in fact, I the, the reason part of why we're here is because uh, doing this podcast is be, I still have a blog, but my blogs started back in 2016, and it was called Food in Books. And yeah. it's analyze is just basically taking food references from books and recreating them. And I would do like an analysis of the book as well. Um, but so one of the first books I did was The Haunting of Hill House. And I love the passage where it's, it, uh, we mentioned it earlier when Eleanor is driving to Hill House and she sees the house with the grand lions and she imagines living there being waited on by the old lady and talk about dining on a bird with um, radishes and plums. So I actually made a chicken dish with radishes and plums and it was quite quite delicious and I kind of made it up on my own. I was really proud of myself. So I don't want to cheat and do that because you know I think I think we should all make something we never made before. So this well, has been wonderful. Thank you guys yeah. both so much. Uh Jameson, such a pleasure, such an honor. And yeah. and you know I would love to come back and, and and Haley has said she would love to be on as well. So oh you know, awesome. Oh so exciting. So cool. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, Jameson. It's been Thank really, you. really amazing talking to you. And yeah. um, I look forward to reading your work as well. And it's been it's been really an honor to 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 speak to someone who I just I adore your podcast so well, thank well, you so that, much that's very sweet and and likewise and I, I'm uh, I, I hope we can continue to do work together this is great I'm sure we will that's it for this week's episode thanks for listening and make sure to tune in for our next episode coming to you in two weeks as always stay spooky What's that like to live deliciously?